Hey everyone, Benji and Igor here from the Contractor Evolution Studio. Now, one unpleasant feeling that I think will resonate with a lot of you is this feeling of being a bottleneck in your own business. Have you ever looked through your phone at the end of the day and you see like 50, 60 calls that you've logged just that day? And have you ever wondered if anyone besides yourself, the owner, can make these tough decisions, can handle a difficult situation, fix a problem, or really do anything besides the most simple tasks? It's common, super common actually, for owners to feel bogged down by all these operational complexities that are so inherent to a growing contracting business. Now, conventional wisdom will tell us that leaders can't really manage more than, let's say, like six to 10 people effectively. And what this means is that we have to decentralize command and we have to develop leaders within if we ever hope to create something bigger than some mom and pop shop. Now, Jocko Willink's principles are certainly powerful, but they only work when you implement them really effectively. So in today's episode, we're going to dive into how these principles from Jocko's book, Extreme Ownership, are put into practice in our industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So today in the show, we have Will Brown. Will runs Brown Boys Roofing. They're based in Arkansas. Now, when he bought the business from his dad four years ago, they were doing just over $2 million a year, whereas last year they produced almost 10. The reason, he says, they've been able to nearly 5x their business in four short years is that Will has learned to lead and has implemented Jocko's core principles into real life. So he's going to tell us how he sets parameters for his team to make their own decisions within, freeing up his time and bandwidth for ownership level stuff, which we all know is key, and also how he pushes the planning process down the chain of command because the best ideas come from the ground level and because it's the easiest way to cultivate team buy-in to the mission. So if you're a huge Jocko fan, uh, if you run a roofing company, or if you just want to get out of the way of your team, this episode is for you. You're listening to Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. If you're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Mr. Will Brown, welcome to the show. How's it going? Awesome. Awesome. I'm excited to do this with you. Um, uh, I'm more nervous than excited, but let's do it anyway. <laughs> You're going to be great. So <laughs> let's dive right in. Um, you know, you like us and like a lot of Breakthrough Academy are a big Jocko Willink disciple. Um, you know, we, we've all read the book and love it. He spoke at our winter summit this past, uh, this past January and was phenomenal. Um, so just just tell me quickly, like what about this book, his ideas really compelled you to want to implement them into your business? Well, I've always been very intrigued with the SEAL teams. I just think they're just cool. And after hearing and reading the stories in the book, they are cool. Um, but they just made a lot of sense. It was, you know, one of his key principles is simple. It's very simple. It's executable. And you just take one at a time and start checking them down the list. And it's just, that makes a lot of sense. When it, something makes sense, I can grab it, move forward. And that's what I did with it. Yeah. Yeah. Simplicity does make, uh, make it a lot easier to work with. Uh, I think that when instructions are complicated, when they're convoluted, uh, it is not very easy to do anything with that. And so, you know, now, now that you've gone through 
the process of implementing this stuff, like give us a bit of a before and after uh, photo, if you will. Like, what, what, how did your business feel to run, I don't know, five or six years ago, like five or six years ago before you started doing this? How is it now? Uh, explain to us the change and how that's felt for you as the leader. So five or six years ago, my dad still owned the company and he was a micromanager to the hill. And my problem was that I did not want to be that. So I took it to the complete other extreme where I wasn't managing at all. So after reading the book and trying to plug these concepts in place, it was, it, again, it was simple to execute. And we have so many pl- people who work with us who are ex-military. So it just made a lot of sense to start diving into it. So I started to learn how to manage after reading the book. Now, granted, like a pendulum, you start on one extreme of micromanaging to not managing and trying to find that sweet spot. And here we are two, three years later, I think I finally found that sweet spot. So I I guess that's, if there was a snapshot, that would be it. Learning how to actually manage people using simple principles. Yeah. So like one of the, um, I think to me that the best way to look at this decentralized command concept, and we're going to get into in a minute here, like how to actually uh, implement this. But the idea is this, like even in a small business, there is so much going on. There's way too much going on operationally for even one person to manage, to even know that it's all happening. Like I would say even in a fairly small contracting business, you get to that point relatively early. And so decentralizing command is fundamentally about leverage. It's about giving um, other people within your organization the authority to make decisions, to solve problems, and do all of that independently. So, Will, just tell us, like, what steps have you actually taken to do that? What have you done to give your people the ability to make their own calls, to solve their own problems, to put out fires, to to deal with customers in a creative way? Like, how do we actually do that? Because I think people understand the idea intuitively, but putting it in place in a company is a whole other question. I think it started when um, I had, I'd been gone for several days. And one of my call takers came to me and asked me a question. And I, so I just was, I was annoyed by it, if I'm being honest. And I said, so what would you have done yesterday when I wasn't here? Well, I would have done this. So why are we having this conversation? You know, and she's like, oh, okay. It's like, look, I trust you to make a decision, make a call, come talk to me afterwards and we can talk about it. I will tell you what I thought or what I would have done either way. And so it started with that. And so, um, then I started trying to take it to uh, the the other the next level of that with every aspect of the company. I started saying, if you're going to come to me with a problem, you have to come up with a solution because I want you to be a problem solver, not just someone who comes to me to be your problem solver. Because if I am your problem solver, well, then you're kind of missing it because if I'm the problem solver, then I'm the problem because I'm not empowering you to do what you need to do in order to succeed at what you're supposed to be doing in our, in our business. If I'm going to hire you and put you in front of people or put you in a position, I trust you to make a decision. So please make a decision. And then I started putting down simple things like every position has a kind of a tiered structure for like how much money they can cost me to make a customer happy if, mm. for lack of better terminology. So one of our main things is make the customer happy. Whatever you do, make the customer happy. If you're in the field and you're a gutter installer, 
and it can you can make that happen in fifty dollars, then make it happen. I'm going to give you a two hundred and fifty dollar limit. If you can make them happy in that, great. The next level would be the mid level manager. They have five hundred dollars. If they can't make them happy with that, then it goes to the next level, which is the senior manager, whatever the division manager, and then they have a thousand dollars. If it's over a thousand dollars, hi, come to me. I need to be involved. Um, if I'm not available, like I'm on vacation or whatever it may be, then I want two of my senior managers to get together, make the decision, and then we'll debrief about it later and we'll see what I thought would have happened. Because the, the funny thing is, is once I started doing that and allowing people to make those decisions, what I found was is their better, their ideas were better than mine. Right. And I didn't have to, I didn't have to worry about it anymore. Now, what's interesting about this concept that I think is, is really worth highlighting is like you have these parameters in place. So how did you even get to the point of instilling this kind of structure that it's, it's, it's very interesting, right? Like it gives people, the structure gives people the autonomy and the flexibility. That I think is the powerful piece. So how did you even get to a point, just using that example, to implement something like that? I stumbled and fell into it, I think. It was just a silly idea that I had that I just... So my, if, if you've read the book, rocket fuel, I'm the visionary of mm-hmm. the group. Yeah. I have this crazy ideas and I have to have people say, no, don't do that. Slow down a little bit. This was just one of those that I just threw out and it worked. Um, of course I just used it as a blanket statement for everybody was X amount of like, I think I went with $500. If you can make a customer happy for $500, I don't care who you are, make them happy because I don't want to have to deal with it because if I'm dealing with it, then I'm getting in the weeds and I don't need to be in the weeds. Right. And after it worked a few times, then we started debriefing on it and was like, okay, you probably don't need to have $500 because you default to that because you're afraid to hold a customer in account, right? Because buyers are liars, as some would say. Right. Uh, so that they'll, they'll manipulate the situation if you give them the chance. So you, you have to be cautious on who you give that authority. But you're never going to allow somebody to grow if you're the one who's always making the decisions. That's, that's one of the biggest, go ahead. I just was going to say that that's the central point to me here is like, you don't really care about the how so much you've given them crystal clear parameters, which is we want our customers to have an, an amazing customer experience with Brown boys. And if you can do it for X amount of dollars, then do it. I don't need to be consulted at all. So a, the customer gets what they want. Um, and B, this person is developing a, like a problem-solving part of their brain that they wouldn't otherwise have. Absolutely. And that's what we want. I, and one of the phrases I like to, there's one of the phrases I like is sometimes we win, sometimes we learn, right? Hmm. Whenever you're winning, that's awesome. But if you're not winning, then you better be learning something. So I take every time that we end up having to, it's not spending money, it's investing in learning every time we have to make a, a deposit into the learning account whenever we have to make a decision like that. Um, the Because if you have a bunch of people who are only going to say yes to you, you don't really have a growing company. You're kind of be stagnant. The, a bunch of yes men is a horrible place to be in because now you're living in an echo chamber and you're never really going to grow. Is that something that you try to like breed into new hires early on? Like this, this like, Hey, we, we don't want yes men like mentality. Like, are you, are you encouraging people from their orientation day on to like, Hey, if you've got an idea that you think is better, uh, challenge me, challenge us, challenge your, your, you know, the people on your team or the people above you, like we're good with that. 
Not necessarily on orientation day, because when you first bring somebody on, they've got to be micromanaged. To I mean, you micromanage until you don't have to at some for some level for training purposes. So I'll use one of our. We just hired a materials coordinator. We brought him on. He's been onboarded now. Here he is, 45, 50 days in. He's really grasped the, the process really well. He started to really pick up on things great. And they're like, okay, now you've been in that seat long enough. If you see some inefficiencies, come to us with some ideas so that we can see if we've tried it because your idea may be something that we thought of a year ago and it just didn't work. Or it may be awesome and we want to implement it. So it's, it's not a right away. But one thing that I do like to say at, at orientation is the one thing I expect you to do is to make a mistake and cost me money. Hmm. I expect it because that's what you're going to do. That's how I learned. I learned by screwing up more than I did by doing things right. So when you screw up, you learn. The one thing I do expect, though, is after you've made that mistake is not make it again. So. And what is it, what is it, um, you know, as, as you've developed as a leader and, and implemented some of these principles, like what does it feel like to have a lot of these calls and, and, and like decisions being made, um, without you? Is that like, was that unnerving? Is it liberating? Like, I imagine there would have been some sort of learning curve even for you going through all of this. The easy answer is yes. <laughs> it was unnerving. It was liberating. It was all of those things. But it was necessary because if you're going to, you know, ultimately our job as a leader is to work ourselves out of a job. The only way you're going to do that is allow people to fail. So as they failed and they've started debriefing, I, I would get really uneasy. and like, did I make the right decision? But here I am a year and a half later and we're running 12, 15 roof replacements in a week. And I don't have a clue what's going on. When I have a clue what's going on, something has really gone off the rails. Right now, now, granted, every week we have our management team comes together for a meeting and we debrief on opportunities for improvement. But really, that's the most that I really hear about, unless somebody's really upset and I get to go out and shake hands and kiss babies and do whatever needs to be done to make them happy. Totally. So, what one of the things that uh, I really want to highlight for, for listeners that um, Jocko speaks about a lot, and, and Will, I know you've done an amazing job at Brown Boys, is this idea of like seventy to one hundred. So what he's saying is, if somebody can make a decision or put out a fire or deal with a complex situation 70% as well as you can, like as the leader, you're at 100 and they can do it 70% as well. Just let them do it. Like A, it frees up some of your bandwidth to focus on the bigger picture and do what you should be doing as a leader, as an owner. And B, it gives them an opportunity to move towards the 100 level uh, by getting their hands dirty and just kind of experiencing it themselves. So um, I think that's a really key insight for people that are maybe nervous about handing over some control and, and they, they're not really sure what it leads to and it, it makes them scared. It's just like, just try it. It's not going to be, you're going to have mistakes. Like, like you said, like you let your people know, I expect you to cost me money at some point. Like you do need to go into it kind of with that mindset. But if you can just always follow that principle, what you'll see over time is you develop leaders within and you, as I said, are able to focus on that that ownership level stuff. Yeah. It, so we got Jocko's over my shoulder here, his good poster. 
the best two minutes you'll spend today is if you will type in Jocko Good into the YouTube, you will see his little video because you're going to deal with stuff. It's going to happen. Even if you make the decision, you're going to screw up. You're going to cost your company money. You might as well allow someone else to be learning on those same things that they're going to cost you money too. But the, you know what I've, what I've actually found is whenever I get involved, I'm like, okay, they want $2,000 off this bill. Okay, that's fine. But what I found is that my leaders underneath me are like, hold on. We're going to go in and we're going to see if we can handle this because I think we can get it less than that. And every time they come back saving me in a, a you know, where they're, it was only $1,200 we got it squared away where I was just ready to give them what they wanted. And they're actually going in, taking ownership of my money and doing a better job than I would have because I would have just been like, whatever, it's, you know. Yeah, it, when you think about a business in general through the evolution, right? It, it, we started, we all started a business ourselves at one point, right? Where everything that happens in the business from marketing to sales, to running operations, to the finances, to the back end administrative stuff, you do everything. And the way that I visually portray it for myself is you take the piece of you, little piece of you away, like one after the other, because at some level, I don't think, I think that this is the piece that it's important to look back at is you were the whole pie Mm -hmm. at one point. Right. And then at you, you separated bit by bit by bit. And to Will's point, if you're a great leader, you are working yourself out of a job. And what that means is you're no longer there. Everything's run by other people. So to expect that you are going to or you should hold on to stuff, I think is 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 fundamentally flawed because you have to piece keep piecing away that pie the more that the business grows. And that totally involves people making mistakes, right? And and that's totally okay. I've spent hundreds of thousands, probably well over a million dollars just on people's mistakes over time because that's how you get to the point of being able to to remove those things. And that's okay, right? The system, the business system is meant, is built to allow you to do that. Every great leader has done it before you and uh, and it's totally okay to to keep going down that path. Is that like a budget? It's like a PL item? <laughs> Basically, Mistakes. yeah. Totally. 150 grand. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it lit- I mean, it might not literally be a line item on the PL, but it is absolutely built in to those things, right? Like if you are, uh, just to put a very kind of simple example, like if you're, if you have someone managing your paid media spend, like as a marketer, you are going to need to burn a ton of money in marketing spend to figure out what does and doesn't work. Totally. Right. It's, it's just a part of the course. So if you're like, Hey, well, we've got a hundred thousand dollar budget this year, a relatively small part of that's going to be effective. All the rest is going to be the cost of you learning how to get there, not to mention the time of, you know, the person on your marketing team managing it, so on and so forth. I I think understanding that point is one of the really big differences between um, somebody that sort of stays stuck at a certain level in business, like their ceiling's fairly low versus people that blow past that and, and scale way beyond is that they, um, they don't let those mistakes really bug them. Whereas somebody that sort of stays uh, smaller, it like, you know, totally. the, the mistake on the job site that costs them $100, they lose sleep over it. Like it's this huge, huge thing for them. And it's, I'm not saying like be frivolous with your spending, but, but understand that there are going to be few, a few of these blowbacks from time to time and you just charge through it and, and learn as well. 100%. Because otherwise everything's going through you, right? Forever. So, forever, right? Because if you, like in your roofing business, if you're running all sales, so every estimate goes through you, Will, what, what would be your closing ratio, do you think, out of 100 estimates? If you did it yourself, 
I don't know that I can do a hundred estimates, <laughs> but it's <laughs> hey. probably going to be 20 to 30% just because I don't care as much because I'm just, I'm running through the appointment. I'm giving them the information they want because I know as soon as I get home, I'm going to have to sit at my table. I'm going to have to finalize different things. I'm going to have to run the business. I mean, I was having a conversation just with my daughter the other day about how I used to spend 60 hours a week working where now I don't and they're, the sales are better, the margins are better, and I have less heartache, and I actually get to be with my family. And, and to your point, Benji, if the glass ceiling broke whenever I stopped micromanaging everything or actually not managing, as I started to say. So, we, I mean, we've doubled the last three years, and the, the funny story about, you know, just allowing people to make a mistake was our, our sales manager now went, and it was like his second week selling for us. And he made a huge mistake. He didn't charge a customer for a tear-off. It was about a $3,000 mistake. Mm. And so, I, I mean, again, back to my boy Jocko, good, right? So I go to him. I said, "This, is, hey, why don't you look this over? And he's like, oh, God, the boss is sitting here saying, why don't you look this over? Something's really missing. And his countenance just dropped. He said, I didn't charge for tear-off. Yep. So now he's thinking, well, every other business I've worked for, I'm losing my commission. I'm not getting paid for the next two, three weeks. This freaking sucks. And he said, what do I do? I said, get me value for it. What do you mean get me value? I need reviews. I need letters. I need, you've got to get me value for this money. So, so what do we do? I say, we say good and move forward. How do you say good? Slowly and purposefully, but we still say it. It's not just something that we say, it's something that we do. So he still tells that story today as he's onboarding salesmen is, look, you're going to screw up. It's going to cost Will money. But if it's a training expense, he's okay with that. If it's a systematic expense, not as much. Totally. I want to backtrack just for a quick second and highlight this point of the cost of learning, right? So Will says now if he's doing estimates, he'd probably close at 30% because he's busy. And I think that that's a reality for a lot of business owners that are not willing to effectively train to spend, to burn that cash that it's going to take to train. Uh, your effectiveness drops over time, right? And, and while you might have the skill to close at, let's say, 60%, your effectiveness is going to drop. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is in order to get to that path, to be able to bring in and train the kind of people to, to create that sales organization, it's going to cost you money very directly, right? Back to that example, if Will is able to close at 60%, he might bring in someone who's only closing at 35, 40% for quite a while, right? So if, if you now, there's a hundred estimates that you would have done, you're now giving it to someone else. You can figure out the math of how much it's going to cost you because that person isn't closing, but over time, they will. Maybe in their second year, they're 50. And in their the year after, they're right where you would have been at, at 60, right? Uh, but that's that inherent cost that it's going to take to get these people skilled up. And it's in everything. It's in marketing. It's in sales. It's in operations. But what, what, what I love to think about is that many other companies in your market are super successful at scale. They've, they've paid the price to do that, and they're still profitable. The market builds in the room and the margin, if totally. that makes sense. Totally. Right? But getting over that early, this is this is the, I think, a mental block a, a lot of contractors have. And it, and it re like, I get where it comes from because it's, you know, like, oh my God, I'm shilling out all, all this cash for somebody to like do a bad job with these estimates and I paid for the leads and there's gas in the vehicle and I could have sold this job, but he didn't. It's like, dude, 
you are missing the way, way, way bigger picture here, and you're going to be stuck forever as a result. So that I, I think I think you know to tie that up, that is fundamentally what what Jocko is saying when he says, "Hey, if somebody can do it seventy percent as well as you, just let him rock with it." Exactly, because otherwise you will run into that scenario. Just like Will said, right now he'd probably close at thirty percent just because he'd be so busy. Totally, and and that's also no way forward. So, yeah. Will. Another one uh, that that is r- like really big in in Jocko's book is is explaining the why and not just the what. So what he means by that is, when you give somebody assignments, uh, when you you know hire somebody to fulfill a certain role, you can't just like read them the job description and then say, okay, yeah, go do all of these things and uh, do a great job of it. A, a really high performing leader would explain to them why all of these things are important and how doing them well or doing them really poorly affects the larger organization that these people fit within. And it affects like the bigger mission that the team is working towards. So how do you guys kind of get that across to, to people within Brown Boys? How do you get that across to your staff? Uh, well, I'll use the sales team as an example. So when we onboard a salesman, we have them sit with every position from the call taker all the way through to the field supervisors who are working with production to figure, see how we're actually doing things. And uh, so by doing that, it actually creates the understanding of you don't work for me as the business owner. You work for production as a salesman. Totally. The CSR, the call taker, they actually work for the salesman. And production doesn't work. Production ultimately works for the quality control inspector who works for me. So if the quality control inspector is finding the, the issues and we're not getting paid, well, I'm going to investigate why. And if it's the sales fault for not helping production do their job well, then we're going to have to have a conversation. But what we found is, as we start having the sales team sit in on production meetings, especially right now, and in, in it's winter for us, we're coming out of winter, early spring, we are actually doing our spring training, if you will, just like in football, you know, the great Vince Lombardi would always say every year, this is a football, you know, it's pretty basic stuff, but they're in there finding out what it is that they're doing that's creating heartache for the production guys. And as they start to realize what they're doing there, then they can make that process better because if the call taker does a great job and they set the salesman up for success, the salesman does an amazing job. They close the job, but they don't give the details to production. Production is not going to do a great job. Then quality control is going to have a hard time. The customer is not going to want to pay. It's going to end up costing us money. If any phase of that doesn't succeed with excellence, then we all lose really because that's not a great experience for the customer. So if you have the understanding that we this is the cycle and whenever you set production up for success and they do exactly what you say they're going to do in the selling process, then you're going to sell more jobs because you're going to have a happy customer who's going to tell more people, you're going to get more referrals and it gets your life that much easier because Susie, Johnny and Mark over here all said, oh, you've got to use Brown Boys. This guy's are awesome. You need to be called Brad because he's amazing. You know, it. When you realize that, it makes it so much easier. And then, you know, now we all win. Because mm-hmm. one of our philosophies is the, uh, the, we call it a triple win. If the customer wins, the team wins, and the company's going to win. It's a three-legged stool. It's the most stable stool because if four legs, if something's out of balance, it's going to wobble. You could be on a side of a hill. Three-legged stool is going to be stable. 
Yeah, I've noticed this time and time again, the importance that and how that a switch flips in people when they understand the why behind what they're doing and the bigger picture within the organization. That's why we, MG, you've seen this many times with all of our new hires. We spend so much time having them cycle around the different departments because to Will's point, they need to see how their work affects all of the others. And there's a whole other level of buy-in towards the quality and execution because it's not just about them. It's not just about the company. It's it's about it's about all the people, their teammates. Um, and again, some people will say, "Well, get on the job and get to work," because we gotta you gotta make the company money. But um, really, if you want to have a sustainable long term, you want to burn some cash, so to speak, yeah. just paying them to learn and to understand. Like we just hired two new coaches, and I did I did a thirty minute call with each of them in the last two weeks, and we just talked about assessments and well they spent that yeah. same amount of time with, with dozens everyone. and dozens of people yeah. in the company right yeah um and and every new person works that way because you got to be able to have them understand the lay of the land and and i love the way that that the will explained it is like if you're in sales like yeah. you are setting up the production team to bat right yeah you're not and just a salesperson you correct. are not just simply an administrator you're not totally. just simply a call taker like yeah. you were a part of a much bigger organism with a really really clear mission statement um and i you know like it's 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 motivating it gives them context and and it's uh i think in like so many people are looking for a sense of belonging like there's there's almost like a spiritual component too where you're like okay i'm actually i'm a part of something pretty big here part of a team yeah it's huge totally. um one other thing, uh, Will, I, I know you do really well. I'd love to hear you talk us through this. Is is this idea of like like pushing planning down the chain of command? So, meaning you don't like uh, like sit in an ivory tower over Christmas and like create this strategic plan for the year and then come down and say, "Okay, guys, this is what we're doing," and I've really thought through it. And here's your role, and here's your role. Okay, go nuts. It's actually the reverse. Like you get them to come to you with the plan, and it's actually more of your job as the strategic visionary to sort of assemble all of it in a way. So, can you talk talk us through like how do you push that planning process down your chain of command? Well. I'll tell you a story about how I tried to be Moses once and come <laughs> down with the Ten Commandments. Um, so we we're struggling with uh, our collections process, and <laughs> the sales manager and I had a multitude, multiple conversations about how do we fix this. So then we have our staff meeting, which we all come together on on a Wednesday mornings, and we're sitting there and we're converse, having a conversation about it. I'm like, "All right, guys, this is the plan," and it may have blown up in my face a little uh, because the, the team that was actually doing it started um, saying, Hey, you just need to stay in your lane. Let us do this. And I'm like, I'm the freaking owner. What do you mean? Tell me to stay in my lane. This is my, this is my money. You know, it's, <laughs> go get my money. And uh, so it, it really, it was bad. Gosh, it was bad. So I, I detached from it and um, I just took a step back and was like, okay, you guys come up with a plan then the funny thing was, is what they came to after my asking specific questions, it was really my plan, but at least they felt like they owned it and it was their plan, which is fine because once I started saying, this is what we're going to do, they immediately shut down. They're like, we're not listening to this. This is, you know, you're doing, you're not in your role. You don't know what's going on. Jock always makes the comment. He says, the, the leader on the ground is always right. Because if I, as a general, if you will, am telling him, this is what you need to do in this situation. Yeah, but there's bullets coming out of that building. I'm not going to that building. Right. You know, so that one kind of bit me. So 
I learned from it because sometimes we win, sometimes we learn. I had a, uh, a guy who was um, on our team that actually uh, he, he, he stepped down and, and he took on another position. Well, I came to our – and he worked inside our production team. So I pull our production team together. I said, all right, such and such here is quit. He turned in all his stuff. These were his three responsibilities. I need you guys to figure out how to make it work and let me know. And that was it. And I just sat there and I watched them all talk through it. Like from the, the youngest, I mean, one of the youngest members of our team as, as, as far as time and seat was like, Hey, I can do this. And they all across the board. I mean, they had a better plan than I had in my head. All the dots were dotted. All the T's were crossed and we're good to go. I was like, all right. And I just walked out and I debriefed with them about 30 days later. And they're like, yep, this is what we're doing. It's still working. We made this slight tweak because it makes more sense for him to do this and him to do that. And I was like, cool. I gave them the problem. They provided the solutions, a much better solution than I would ever came up yeah. with. Better end product and very little work for you. Win-win, man. Totally. Yep. It's, it's very true, right? Like you have to, one of the big things to be that you got to be aware of is how much do people understand your, like the, the organization, what you're trying to achieve, the brand. And once they do, you got to let them run because in so many cases you think as a leader that you know what's best, but you want to just wrap your head around how much time day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out, these guys spend in a specific role. They know what's up. Better than you. Way do. better than you. Way yeah. better than you. So like, how do you tactically go about collecting that information? If you need to like think through, you know, the strategy for the quarter or for a year, like, is there a way that you can go and sort of scoop up that insight from, from your team on the ground level so that you can then make plans way more effectively? Yeah, it's a good question, right? Like when you look at as a, as a business leader, as an executive, whatever you want to call yourself, um, you really are paid to make a handful of good decisions, right? right? And, and when you think about your process for like mapping out an annual strategic plan for what your company is going to do for the quarter, for the month, whatever it is, your job isn't just to go and talk, right? People, people sometimes make that mistake, right? A good leader is super extroverted and they just go and they motivate people and they say a bunch of right. cool shit. So right. people will be excited to do stuff. <laughs> but that's not true. Your job, and this is why you see actually like a lot of really good leaders are actually a bit more introverted than you think because the work is in the thinking and the analyzing. Now, what do you think and you analyze? You're thinking and you're analyzing about what's actually going on in the field, so to speak, right? So in a planning process, it's by no means you just getting out on the horn and talking. There's you strategizing quietly, thinking through, understanding. And then there's a process even that precedes that, which is you collecting information and really understanding what's happening. So the preparation is where the magic happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And getting the input as you say, or Jock would say, up the chain of command. Yeah, it's, it's funny, right? Like I always, I always see like more. Um, you talk, you talk to maybe newer business owners, and they have this notion in their mind that uh, they got to like get in this room full of whiteboards. Totally. And like, and just like, what, like, just like, write it all out. I'm just gonna plan it all out. Every single game plan, every single tactic. It's all gonna be there. It's all in my head. I just got to get it out there. Yeah, totally. I just got to get it out. It's like we'll block out a day and just like bang this whole thing out. Yeah, and not it's not how it works. Like, like at really high level leadership. Really, what you're doing is you're, you're assembling information from different departments. That's the heavy work. Once, yeah. once, once that's done, really, really um, 
well and you've, you've got all the information you need, these course corrections, these decisions, whatever you want to call them, um, they're, they're quite simple. Yeah. What you get paid to do is like a processor. You get paid to take in information effectively, to process through it in the right way, and to push it out with the right strategy based on the info that's come in. The other thing that it, it does to um, for for the people on the team is it, it makes them feel unbelievably valued and like they're a part of this 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 larger plan that that you guys are making together, not just like the leaders coming down and pouring on. Well, them. if you're doing it right, ideally they will be in years to come the one doing that. Right? Totally. Yeah. Hopefully, it's good. Um, well, one one thing. Uh, one other concept here I wanted to explore with you is this idea of, of like leading up and down the chain of command. How do you instill a culture within Brown Boys of like upwards feedback? Like how, how do you make people comfortable coming to you and, and, and giving you feedback or, or, or letting you know what's going on ground level? Hey, there's bullets coming out of this, this building. We actually shouldn't do this. It starts with being sincere, I think. Um, when you're sincere and you come to them and they, they realize that you really want feedback, they're more likely to give you feedback. But if you ever take their feedback and you immediately punch holes in it like Swiss cheese, they're never going to give you feedback again. Mm. You've got to start to take it, internalize it because you may not agree with it. You may think it's wrong, but you can't say that right then. You have got to take the data, take what they're giving you, internalize, think about it, you know, grab some other people to, you know, Hey, this is some of the feedback that I got. Do you see this? And especially if it's people that you've already had that are comfortable enough to tell you what, what's going on and you dissect it. And then you come back with, to the guy, guy or gal, whoever gave the feedback and you say, all right, this is some really great points. You're absolutely right on X, Y, and Z. This is something that I'm struggling to actually see that. Can you give me some better examples, please? And, and, Please remember, I want ex specific things, not generalities, because a general statement is just, you know, you really can't work with that. But if you give me specifics, I can actually try and fix that. Um, or we can work towards a solution. Or if you have a solution, I mean, you're bringing me problems. What's your fix for this thing? And if it's anywhere, if it's anywhere close to the, to what you would do again, you know, it's that 70, that you talked about earlier, let them do it. Because what the worst thing that happens is they do most of it and then something isn't 100% done. They come back to you or hopefully not to you. It's actually whoever's they're the subordinate leader up above them and they go through it. it but it really takes – it goes back, you know, one of Jocko's big things is you can't have ego. You've got to check that ego. So it starts with being honest and an actual self-assessment. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. it's it's so good will i've um i've learned a lot from from this conversation like looking specifically at 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 jocko and how some of his principles have made their way into brown boys have you got any advice just more generally for business owners about like taking taking books taking pieces of work and injecting them into a company because i think that's one thing a lot of business owners could benefit from is just getting out of their own way no matter what you do whether it's a, you're a, you're a you know you're a ceo you're a sales leader you're a marketing director you're an office manager whatever it is uh, that you do for a company there's there's going to be uh, somebody out there that's better at it than you and they've they've probably created a really, really useful tool for you to follow. So any advice for business owners who maybe need to just uh, 
go tap into a, a higher source and implement that stuff into their businesses? Audible. <laughs> Get into Audible. If you, I'm not a big reader, um, but I like to listen to podcasts and books. So, um, and actually, what I've done is I've actually given the, the our team anybody who wants to buy Audible, I'll pay for it. The only thing is they have to have at least one business book that's going to push them in their specific space once a month. So, and I've had several people take me up on it. And I've had several that don't, but the ones who take me up on it are the ones that are really pushing forward. They're really pushing the envelope because now it's, I'm going to help you better yourself. One of the biggest things that we state when, you know, if you come to work for me and you decide to leave, you better be better than when you showed up. If not, I failed you. Hmm. Let's end it on that bombshell. Awesome. Well, it's been uh, it's been really, really great having you. I want to thank you sincerely for doing this with us, um, and we hope you come back again soon. It was awesome. my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Will. Hey, if you enjoyed this show, hit that subscribe button. It's what allows us to produce more awesome content for you totally for free.